Welcome to the Digital Insurance Pint Podcast. As always, I am joined by uh, Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance, Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance, and Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitchell & Whale. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the possible impact of COVID on broker multiples. And are we potentially going to be seeing a wave of acquisitions? All right. So maybe let's first start off with a bit of background here, guys. So maybe give me a sense. I mean, obviously the numbers won't be in until sometime down the road, but give me a sense. What are you seeing in terms of the, the overall premium pie for insurance? You know, we know some people are taking cars off the road. Insurers have uh, done, some, done some negative endorsements. Customers have done some negative endorsements on the auto side. But in general, if you look at auto, property, commercial, what's happening to that, uh, that overall premium pie? And uh, maybe, Jeff, I'll go with you first. What do you, what's, what's your sense? Are we growing, shrinking in terms of overall insured premiums? Well, I think depending on the niche, like obviously restaurants and uh, retail, certain niches have shrunk. Uh, they went down. Some of them were closed. Coverage is reduced. And you'll see a reduction in receipts over the next 12 months. So I think that some of that pie is going down, but there's other areas like if you're, you know, trucking for essential services are going well. If you're FedEx or you're insuring people that uh, are delivering stuff, you've never been busier. Uh, so there's certain areas that are, that are growing. Uh, a lot of the coverages have been reduced. So brokers have had a ton of negative endorsements, but most of that stuff has kind of filtered through and uh, cancellations that's been delayed. That's kind of the great unknown. So I think you're going to see a, it's hard to say because there's still rate increases going through. There's cancellations. I would suggest the pie isn't shrinking, but it's not growing as much as it would be normally. Uh, that's my gut feeling guys. What do you think? Yeah, I have a couple angles. So on the pie side, um, I think it depends where you sit. So we're growing such that uh, we're up sort of 25% year over year. But 7% of that growth is, is rate increase. Um, that is out of our control. Now, I talked to a more traditional broker, like more classically brick and mortar shop today. Um, and I would think they're pretty well run. They're pretty on top of the very involved uh, owners, decent size. And they're down 10% uh, last month. And so... Wow. And that, and that includes a seven point rate increase. So they're actually down 17. Quite, quite possibly. Like, and they might not even know it. Like, I think a lot of brokers that are calling themselves flat don't realize there's a 7% tailwind inside there. So you're actually shrinking and you're under this cover of rate increases that when that should disappear or reform or something, you might be quite uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I, I think there are some negative endorsements happening. I, I think, um, as we get into this, you're going to see a lot of brokers waking up to a, a rude awakening saying, I'm not into this. I'm not up for this. Who's buying? I'm, I'm checking out. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Steve, what's, what's your perspective oh, from an overall perspective, personal lines, commercial lines, shrinking, growing. What's, what's your take? Uh, commercial lines is certainly going to take a bump. Uh, retail, yeah. hospitality, uh, uh, the most, astronomically fucked up marketplace in commercial lines that we've seen <laughs> in 25 years right now is messing with things as well. Uh, in personal lines, um, no, I, we're, we're growing. Um, 
mostly because people were bored and shopping online. But back to what Adam was saying about, you know, the tailwind of rate and all that, you know, for us, I learned a long time ago, I never measure my growth by, by either revenue or um, premium. If you want to, if you want to, to look at growth or retraction, it's PIP. Always measure yourself on PIP because if you're going through the rate increases that we're having, like in, in Atlantic Canada, there's somewhere it's been habitational is 25% up. Commercial lines is 20% up. I can beat my chest all day long about my growth, but guess what? I went backwards by 5% on PIF. That's, that's artificially inflated growth. And you need to eliminate monitoring that artificially inflated growth. That's not, that's not a successful long-term business. So the AI, we got AG artificial growth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not, it sounds like it's, it's fair to say that, um, depending on what, you know, a broker's exposure is to certain areas of the marketplace, there's going to be some brokers who are under pressure. Let's, let's get into gossip mode here. What are you guys hearing on the street? Are you hearing brokers who are looking to sell? Or are you hearing brokers who are looking to take advantage of the mark of this marketplace and buy? What, what are you hearing? Maybe Adam, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I, I have more acquisitions on my plate than I've ever seen before. Um, I think there's a number of people that are reaching that fed up point and tapping out and realizing they don't want to do the next round of investments to go at it. I don't even think we're at the tipping point yet. I think it's a lot like uh, bankruptcies with, with restaurants and other things is I think the rude awakening is still coming and you're going to see much more going into the fall and winter, um, even Q1, it, it'll be interesting times. Hmm. Cool. Steve, what's your take what, from, your, from your neck of the woods? What are you, uh, what are you saying? Um, not a lot of acquisitions get talked about pre-acquisition in Atlantic Canada. Uh, 96% of them are already gone. Um, just largely due to a couple of really aggressive players over the last couple decades here. So, um, out here, you're either going to Archway, Houston, or um, Canada Broker Link, and it's gone before anybody hears about it. Hmm. Um, there's a few small books that might uh, might be out there, but uh, I think that the, like Adam said, the the thrown in the towel piece. There's a lot of frustrated smaller operators out there who wanted to be around for another 10 or 15 years, they might say, you know what? This is bullshit. Like it's a really frustrating time right now for the most astute operators are scratching their heads and, and uh, banging their head against the wall. It's, it's a tough, tough time to be a broker right now between the insurers, the marketplace, it would be a tough time without COVID right now. It'd be a frustrating time without COVID. Technologically, marketplace-wise, all those kind of things, throw COVID at it, that's going to be the straw for a few. Okay. All right. Thanks, Steve. Jeff, what, uh, from your corner of the, uh, the province, what are, uh, what are you hearing? What are you seeing on the street? 
just it's already been pretty aggressive like you've already seen equity money come into play you've got the hubs of the world you've got nfp coming into canada you know so they've been buying some and not small shops but big shops hubs bought a pile of benefits brokers i don't know if they made 20 or 25 acquisitions but they've been pretty aggressive you know so you've got some traditionally get some equity money on play you've got canadian uh Broker Network or Canadian Broker Link, I mean, sorry, uh, with Intact, they've been aggressively buying people. They continue. They went on the record saying, hey, we're going to continue to buy during COVID. They've been aggressive doing stuff. And you get the super regionals, which you got the archways to Houston, as Steve talked about. You got Andrew agencies in Saskatchewan area. Uh, you got McDougal and there's a few other agents in, in Ontario that are kind of super regional buying in certain pockets. So there just seems to be, you know, a lot of people out there and if, you know, if stuff comes up for sale, it's still a seller's market right now. So people can expect 3.25 to 3.75, probably more closer to 3.5 times multiples or 10 to 14 times EBITDA seems to be the, the talk on the street. Generally people generally don't get much more than number, but it's like fishing. The story is always higher after the sale than what maybe it is uh, when the, when the, the, the paint's dry. But so you've kind of got, it's it, what's going to accelerate it is just as, as everybody said here earlier, brokers that have tried to, they're going to get five more years because it's been a good cash cow. Now they're worried about their cash cow eroding CPC being affected by, you know, potentially bad results, more fire, stuff like that. And just loss of market share. So they're watching their nest egg potentially reduce and they don't want the headaches of trying to digitize, trying to deal in a post COVID world and trying to adjust to all this stuff. So they're ready to check out. So I think the number of stuff books on the block will go up, but the competition is still there. So it's, it's very challenging for brokers to pay 3.75 to four times multiples. So that's going to be tricky moving forward. I don't see that number dropping anytime quickly. Okay. So that's, that leads us right into our next point here. So, you know, the, the rise of, you know, the, the increase in the multiples, I mean, you can trace uh, what multiples were back to the, you know, late early to late nineties in the one to one and a half times up to, the you know 3.5 to 3.75 today and that's really a function of supply and demand so early you know, just a second ago we heard that uh, supply is supply of brokers for sale you know is potentially going to go up which in theory would push the, the price you know the multiple down but we still have lots of aggressive buyers which you know probably has a, a, a contradictory uh, effect here so where, where do you think things are going where do you like just well real quickly. How many, so if you if you stack up uh let's say on the buying side let's name some big buyers you have nfp new to the ring you have broker link prolific you have hub uh pretty prolific although maybe choose it you have now navacord so let's just put those guys on the bench as buyers with let's say they all have capital how many deals do you think would have to hit the market before you would over satisfy even just that hunger, right? Like if yeah. you just doubled the supply of it, can you imagine BrokerLink saying no to a deal at 3.5? I think their normal number is 3.7 or something unsolicited. Here you go. No. Like I, I, I don't know that that capital run drills dry because there's also the arbitrage play. Uh, I can at least speak to BrokerLink and Hub. Uh, if, if they buy you for 10 times earning and it goes onto their balance sheet, that same thing that they just bought is instantly worth 15 times earnings, 20 times earnings. Like it's, if it is truly an earning portfolio, it's almost unlimited money. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a Canadian broker link buying a broker, 
at 3.5 times, you know, if they're to buy an insurance company, they're paying a dollar for a dollar premium, but they're getting at 60 to 65 cents in the dollar. So it's a great way to shear up uh, distribution a lot cheaper than trying to buy another entity, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually no see question. them going up. I see the multiples going up. The supply and demand, like, the other thing is you have these, these monstrosities that have, whose growth model for the last however many years has been through acquisition. If they look at their organic growth, they, they have yet to learn how to grow organically. They just don't even understand how. And they've, they've put nothing into it for the last decade. Um, you know, we've got a three-year-old brokerage that would beat Hub indefinitely forever in Atlantic Canada on being on page one, no matter how much money they put at it, because they would just, they grow, they grow through acquisition. So as, as these, you know, I don't, they might need to learn, but there's, if there's fewer and fewer brokerages to buy, and that's their model is to buy to grow, because I'm not an economist, but if there's fewer, doesn't the price go up when something, you know? Absolutely. As you know, as the resource gets rare, that's why, you know, gold, even, and platinum even if and whatever the resource, yeah, even if the resource is not as pure, even if the gold is not as pure as it once was, it's still yeah. gold and we need it. Hey, loyal listeners. When you hear me say CAS certified, that means that we use them in our agency. Are you a local insurance agent looking to take your business to the next level, write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS? AKA Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, but like in today's world, we use these initials like it's cool, because it is, and it's hip. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they offer the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing market. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and the guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. Some of these entities, though, that are buying are are well-run shops and they are getting really good growth. They've got some great niches and they're buying some great companies and they're buying some bigger companies. Uh, You know, the the smaller brokers trying to buy, there's not many one, three, five, ten million dollar brokers left. You're now getting into the 20, 30 million dollar brokers of what's left. So the cost and the spend for somebody to buy is getting to be a, a huge number. And to amortize that over the next 10 years, if you have to do a 10 year financing, you explain to me 10 years from now, is the model we have right now going to be sufficient or are we going to lose a chunk of our business to self-driving cars? Is there going to be new entrants? You know, there's a bit of risk when you start projecting out 10 years now, 20 years ago, not quite as much, but there is quite a bit of uncertainty, right? So that's, it makes it that's very actually interesting. one that scares me is, is autonomous vehicles scares me more than. Yeah, but here's, here's an angle. Like, let's say you just keep hammering away at efficiency and better modeling, Jeff, and improving 
how many taxi agencies did Uber buy? Right, they didn't buy a thing. They just stole it all. Right. And it's, it's interesting that you can go around buying up all the taxi agencies, but if someone comes out with a better model that resonates more and gets an edge, and I, I don't know that there's a quantum one yet, not at that level. There's, you know, 10, 20% numbers that are eking out some good gains, good businesses that are starting to make money. But, um, you could, there's a lot of things that could still change. And these equity firms, they're getting 30% EBITDA, 35% return. Where can you get that in the stock market? But it'll be interesting when they exit and who's going to buy them, what's that going to look like? That'll be interesting snapshotting down the road, what next firm's going to come in to buy them. There's always one waiting there to buy it, but it'll be really I, interesting. IPO. Landscape. Yeah. IPO, or, you go, you go or, lemonade. Lemonade's <laughs> 33 times revenue. Yeah. 33 <laughs> times revenue the highest valuation on any per policy insurance company in the world. Yeah. That's unbelievable. That's pretty, that's, pretty good uh, hype. Pretty good hype. Yeah. Paint me no pink and give me hype. a 33 multiple. So speaking of another macroeconomic fact here, interest rates are super low. So, you know, raising pay, paying down capital that you're going to use to buy, to finance an acquisition is you know cheaper than it's ever been. You know, what, 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 do you see that playing into these buying decisions at all? You, you I mean, could have a harder access to capital too. Like the same companies that classically funded brokers, acquiring brokers, you know, could get a little more choosy or, yes. you know, during these yeah. uncertain times, want to plow their capital into shoring up their balance sheet, doing other things, getting ready for an IPO, whatever. That, that's a great point, Adam, in the sense of depending upon where you're getting your money from and if it's from supplier, suppliers, be it insurance companies, and you're an acquirer, that that might tighten up. That, that's got to be 80% of acquisitions is yeah. the, the very flexible money that comes from vendors sitting idle capital on the side. You're putting it work for a distribution strategy in play. Yeah. And then also the, um, the ability to flip books for overrides. If, the, if flipping books for overrides uh, the valuation, if, there, if insurers are less willing to do that, that comes into the equation too. So yeah. Flipping books is tougher now though because there's less markets yeah. and who's going to be left well, in five years? That's often the math yeah. Yeah. On, on acquiring brokerage is flipping books and how that plays in. So that might come down a bit. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that um, you know, as, the interest, as interest rates come down, insurers – uh, you know, they may actually be, it's hard, hard to predict, but they might actually be more open to broker broker financing because their ability to get a return on their investments goes down because they're, you know, they're restricted to very, very um, uh, secure investments, which usually are fairly interest rate sensitive. So when that interest rate is quite low, they're, you know, they, they've got to make their ROE on, uh, on the underwriting side and potentially on the broker financing side because their investment side, you know, shrinks even more than it than it has in the past few broker, years broker financing is very very safe for insurers so yeah. um yeah. if but they have to have the uh, the access to capital too depending you know yeah. um and they're, and they're getting they're to deploy that and that's behind that big veil depending yeah. upon uh you know what where your directions are from a uh across a pond if you're that sort of insurer and so on right like what's coming down the pipe that way yeah absolutely yeah there's there definitely are i mean some of the bigger 
carriers to talk about the Avivas and RSAs and so on, you know, sometimes their decision making is not entirely based on the Canadian market. There's, you know, outside uh, outside influences there for sure. All right, so we uh, just opened the door to uh, carrier financing. Uh, that's actually that, let's expand upon that a little bit here. So, um, you know, from your perspective, what you hear, a lot of carriers in the past have been in the financing game. You know, different pros and cons related to some of them. You know, has anybody exited the financing game? Anybody new? Who's what's your perspective on which carriers are sort of most active in the financing game these days? And uh, Jeff, I'll get, let you go first here. I'm probably not the one to ask, but uh, my understanding is nobody's really officially pulled out to my knowledge. Like I think anybody will look at them, just the magnitude of how much they'll invest and the terms may have changed a bit, but I think the usual suspects without calling people out are, are, are approachable, but I think they're less likely to take equity positions before, uh, you know, sometimes they would take an equity position to make it more palatable. I think some insurers have kind of shied away from that and uh, you know, I think it depends on the business case. Most companies are business people. You know, if they can get three and a half percent interest or 4% on a broker loan where they got an equity and they can build market share, it's better than some of their bonds and secure stuff. So it's not, it's actually good for them because they've got, and they've got locked in for five or 10 years. Plus they have the upside of growing the book. So I think, uh, you know, I think most of them are still approachable that we're doing it before. Uh, you know, some of them we don't, you know, on their direct arm that we're buying people, we don't see them buying quite as much. Or I don't hear a lot from Johnson's anymore. They're really adequate. They're really out there doing it. Haven't heard a lot of sales from them over the last year. But okay, Steve, what's your what's your take? Have you uh, have you heard much in the way of changes in that, on that front? Uh, no, no, and um, I would disagree with Jeff a little bit in that uh, the equity piece might be backing off. I would say my sense is it's probably increasing. Um, but the thing is, like, they're, when you're talking about our insurance suppliers uh, giving brokers money either for acquisition or giving them money, uh, you know, buying half or whatever it is, some insurers are really, really good at this. Uh, but then you have to look at, too, what does, what does an insurer have to lose by, by losing a brokerage to a deal? So insurance company a is the lead carrier in that brokerage insurance company b is doing the, a deal with them insurance company a might get pretty aggressive on on a defensive play uh, and come up with a deal because they don't want to lose that book because they know it's the first thing that's gone because it's going yeah. over here no do you, uh, are you comfortable calling out um one or two carriers you think are the best at financing who you know who would you call if you uh, if you wanted financing well, intact by far is, is the best, but they're the best for a reason. Yeah, and um, I think that if you want to remain independent uh, someday later or do any, I, I think that once, once you're involved with that organization, and I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing because a lot of people made decisions and been quite happy, that, that they'll never leave your organization in that sense. And that's just their business model. Um, Aviva, um, Aviva has a great, great finance department. They know what they're doing. Um, Wawanisa has a really, really astute finance department. But it's all going to be a deal that fits fits within. Like every broker is unique, 
and it's got to fit the um, the recipe that matches what um, what that insurer really is looking for. Deal still okay. about the financial or your financial statements and your relationships. Two key things. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, there's uh, every deal would be entirely unique. All right, Adam, uh, what's your what's your you want to chime in on this? Who's uh, the only, the only new player I've seen to the market is well, a couple, I guess, on uh, Unica uh, started to lend. I think it's a pretty specialty to when it makes sense to their distribution channels. They help some succession and some other things, but they put Chris Weston in charge of that. Um, National Bank has come out of the weeds and decided they're going to be a, a major player. Um, everybody is a cash flow lender so if you're going to build a digital arm and in that entails usually burning or investing money to get the things going in these startups nobody is in the mood to lend into that um they lend off of profit and you know you need to have positive covenants to to take it but wawa will lend echo will lend rsa will lend Intact will lend, Aviva will lend. I don't know that Gore is doing any deals. Um, they they bought a couple um, brokerages. Um, I've seen them do some succession lending. Some like there's just a couple small mutuals that have some very small deals, but not on scale. Um, yeah, some of the, as everything I mentioned, some of the farm mutuals will do it, and they're good, and uh, they're depending on the deal. But usually, it has to be a farm book or something. Well, with you it, you but, need to have a deep relationship there. Like they're not, yeah. you're not a stranger's not walking in to treat it like a bank. Um, yeah. And BM, BMO is always good. They give you, they 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 recognize. Yeah, the asset they're model. Uh, let's call them the OG, right? They've been yeah. in it forever. They're good at it. Um, again, cash flow specific, uh, but they understand it. They can move quickly. They have a whole department. That's where National Bank's department came from. I think they are ex-BMO guys that stood that up. I think everybody has to remember that the the level of speed, expertise, and the, the flavor of the deal is going to depend on what all those finance departments have on their plate at the time. You could largely get ignored when if they've got two or three giants in the hopper and you're talking about two million bucks and they're – Wow. page two dealing with 200 million it the, can the, happen that way the business yeah. guys are are setting the deals like these are happening yeah. for business reasons traditionally uh whether it's expanding your book or securing a book or rolling a book or distribution like relationship and then the banker is just making sure it's secure and lending it with good confidence and pieces um that, that includes like the markets with the really restrictive covenants and you know the business yeah. person somewhere up the chain decided that a Rofer for 11 years is a really good strategic option to have. <laughs> right. 11 years. <laughs> it's always 10 plus one. That sounds, that sounds very specific. I think Adam might have some uh, expertise in that particular front, but um, so uh, that's great. I think we beat this to death. I'm going to, uh, going to wrap this episode up here, but I've got one last question for you guys. My question to you is what multiple would it take for you to sell your book for you to sell your business today? Jeff, what's the number? <laughs> I'm not going to say <laughs> at this point. I'm going to go non on the record. Every discussion is unique. So it's, it's well, very man. high though. The, the, long, the more you want to get, stay in the business, the higher the multiple and the more outrageous the number you come up with. So but you got to watch you come up with the number. So 
I'll, I'll let you think about it. We'll, 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 I'll go to Adam, see what, see what his number is, and then if you want to chime back in, you can. Adam, what's your, what's your number? I'd, I'd, I'd sell for four times. Four times. Wow, that's pretty conservative. Well, okay. I actually just want to have a lot of conversations, so I'm going to throw it out there. <laughs> Adam's number is four times. Steve, I think we heard 33 earlier for you, but uh, what's, what's, no, your, what's your no, number? No, I will give you a real number. Six point three eight. Six point three eight. That's yeah. a very specific number. One hundred trillion million. <laughs> six point three eight. Six point three eight. Okay, we've heard four. Six point three eight. Jack, is, is that the time it is over there? Did you just look at the clock? Yeah. No. It's six. Yeah, I got six no. forty. No. I'm gonna. I'm not, I'm not gonna comment. Yeah. Uh, I. Uh, I get out my calculator. No yeah. comment. Yeah. I'm gonna leave it at no comment. Okay. Somebody wants got... to talk. Somebody wants to talk about it. That's a separate conversation. How's that? All right. Uh, talk to me. Uh, Anybody can call it. My number will come up on the screen <laughs> after if it's seven points or higher. Seven, seven times or higher. Yeah. Okay. Oh, for a good brokerage call. For a good brokerage call, Steve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks very much. Uh, and as always, uh, pleasure to be with the guys here. Adam Mitchell from Mitchell Whale, Jeff Rocknex Caliber, and Steve from Cheap Insurance. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With MBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with MBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast Certified.